This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Feels like it's been an eternity. Hi, everybody. Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins. Spring break over, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, the Ducks return to the practice football fields. We're back in the in the in the studio here. You know, I'm back working on Scoop Duck. You're back doing your radio show. So yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think you ever left. You probably didn't get a spring break. I didn't get to go to the coast. No. No. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed that part. I still worked while I was up there. Maybe not quite as much as I would normally, but I still worked a little bit. But, you know, enjoyed Fort George and, and Bowie Brewing. And I can't even tell. There's so many things to list. That, that, that was a phenomenal trip, I, I have to say. Uh, I haven't been to Astoria in a long time. My kids had never been. And, you know, for us down here going to that part of that's the woods. a drive it's a drive yeah you know you're portland and then out through hillsboro and uh you know it's definitely a drive but i would have to say it was easily worth it i mean yeah the kids had fun oh yeah we stayed on a beach uh, we stayed at a house that was basically like one block over from the beach it was on a golf course but the beach we were at you could drive onto mm. so it's pretty cool yeah, yeah we could drive back and forth and the same and, and i you know we had the minivan because we had all the kids so we could drive up and down the beach with no problems you know, you, you didn't have to have four by four. You didn't, you know, uh, we had a huge bonfire right there on the beach because we loaded up the van with wood and then drove down and backed it up and took the wood out and s- s- made a fire because there was one day that was perfect. Like no wind, sun, no rain. Mm. Awesome day. Like yeah. we were on, we went to two different beaches and then we spent, you know, the evening there on that beach roasting marshmallows and stuff. What it was it was a, it was a, uh, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners on this are probably up in the Portland area and they're like, yeah, I've been to Astoria, Seaside, you know, Cannon Beach a ton. Well, I hadn't been and I know it was awesome. You guys are lucky. And I will say, cause I did this, this same trip two years ago of my better half and I went up highway 101 the week after the high school basketball season. Cause that's when my busy season ends. Mm-hmm. And it was the first week of March Madness. Oh, so it was yeah. in that same window of spring break for the high schools, early April, late March. The Oregon coast might be the best place in the world at oh, that yeah. time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. You no. can't beat it. No, you can't. You're right. And I, I mean, we're lucky we have Brookings down here, which is nice. You know, you could, you know, Coos Bay is a little farther north and stuff. I mean, we have some nice little coastal cities, but those are just so much bigger and offer so much more to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole different, I mean, it's a whole different animal up there. At least, at least in my opinion, once you get about Newport North, they're different. I mean, they've got breweries, they've got some other things going on, things that I really enjoy. Yeah. But we envy you if you live on the coast listening to this. Yeah. Um, Want to talk football? Want to talk hoops? Men with that nail biter against Virginia, we get a chance to break that down. Ladies with the first Final Four ever. Still dancing. Gotta love it. I love it, man. It's gonna be a heck of a game on Friday. Mm. Oh, damn. Mm. 3.30 when they play Baylor, uh, tip at 4, and I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna cover that game somehow, some way. Oh, yeah. No. Watch party at Matt Knight on Friday. That's gonna be something cool. That'd be yeah, that'll be awesome. You know, I'm sure there'll be some watch parties at maybe some of the breweries and stuff in Eugene. Um, that's just, I mean, 
you know, that's just a tremendous game. Not only because they're in the final four, that's a tremendous matchup. I mean, those two can really not be any more different than mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. I mean, just stylistically. Mm-hmm. So that'll be, I mean, that'll be really, I mean, that's like a, I liken that to the UFC because, you know, in the UFC, you can get a guy who's a great wrestler and a great boxer. Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's, you know, totally different styles. And it makes for a really interesting, crazy fight, like which one will prevail. That's just the way I kind of compare this game. I mean, it's just going to be two totally different styles. Mm -hmm. I love that analogy. I'm going to borrow that. Yeah. (laughs) Also want to talk baseball, maybe a little bit of softball as well, but football, hoops, spring sports, and we'll just see what else we have on tap here. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Let's start with spring football. I just say this as an outsider. I sit in my studio all day and I, I talk about what I read. But I don't live it like you do. Right. Or like your phone does. Like, is your phone just blowing up over the last 72 hours? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you're talking to me and I legitimately sitting here looking at you, looking at text messages coming in. (laughs) Um, And it's, you know, it's, it's fine. No, I like that. I appreciate that. Like, I appreciate, you know, and I I posted this scoop duck. I appreciate getting afforded a chance to take a semi spring break. And yes, my phone was still going. I still, you know, I still did work. Maybe I did 80, you know, 80% of what I would normally do, maybe 75%, something like that. You know, but then I, I, it makes my job easier when the phone is buzzing and when things are going on, because I don't like to just create content just for the sake of creating content. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, you know, yes, there is a need for yeah. that. No, we all know people that do it. Yeah. You don't want to be that guy. No, I want to create something that's viable, that's, that's happening. That's, you know, that, that's, that's tangible. That's going on in the moment. So, you know, obviously for instance, you know, over the weekend I teased on scoop duck, Juwan Johnson would be joining the team early. You know, I don't, nobody else had that s- sort of scoop. That's what we do. And, you know, obviously to see it come out on Tuesday and that, he, you know, oh crap, Look at this giant guy standing on the sidelines. Oh, I counted like five different headlines. Yeah. Like Oregonian yeah. and all the beat writers, everybody, national writers even. Yes. Everybody had their Jawan Johnson take. Yeah. No, and, it, you know, people talking about is he a tight end, is he a receiver, whatever. He's 6'4", 225. He's probably one of the most purely athletically gifted people on that roster right now. Just it, regardless of position, he's a hell of an athlete. And then, moreover, obviously, we we were able to talk to him on the mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, when was that? Was a month ago? I think two months ago. Two months ago. Awesome kid, man. Just I'm still blown away at how composed he was, at how self aware he was of the things he needs to work on, and you know, just really knowing, hey, this is what I need to do if I want to get to the NFL. I need to fix drops. I need to be ready. Learn the playbook. Um, I, I think his presence. He didn't suit. He didn't suit up and play. But, you know, yesterday, he will tomorrow on Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday. You know, he will suit up and get out there for the first time on Thursday. But I think just the mere presence of him there, along with Micah Pittman, elevated everybody else that was there. It was almost kind of like, oh, shit, we got to get it together. This guy's coming for a job. Micah Pittman showed up yesterday, Tuesday, mm-hmm. and was all, like, he, there was a video reel on Go Ducks. Uh, Twitter thing and he's warming up yeah, yeah. He, was, he was warming up there was like out of like the six or seven catches two of them were Pittman that I saw in the video so I mean you know you saw Isaiah Crocker with that one-handed catch in the uh, on a fade route in the end zone that was ridiculous that ended the video I mean 
that's the kind of stuff that's a byproduct of you elevating that group. You bring in Juwan Johnson, you get Micah Pittman, he shows up looking to take a job. Well, that elevates everybody else, and I think it did. Yeah, let's start there, because that was the, the two biggest storylines from yesterday's practice, kind of kicking things off with spring football back in gear. Johnson coming back, six foot four. He was in street clothes yesterday, right. but... I think he can make an impact. Where do you see him slotting in when he starts practice today? Uh, yeah, when he starts practice on on Thursday, you know that's a that's a guy. You, you even heard uh, the media asking Mario Cristobal about him specifically afterward. You know, and he outright said, "Hey, nothing's being gifted to John. He's going to come in and he's going to need to earn wherever he falls on the organizational chart." And so, you know, that's a. I guess my point to that is, Micah Pittman came in. And as far as I know, he was already taking reps with the threes and the twos, not the ones. And you wouldn't expect that of a true freshman on day one. Uh, but that kind of tells you that there is a need. If Pittman's already yeah. working that high. True freshman on the second team depth chart. Yeah, I, I assume Juwan Johnson's probably going to immediately start with the threes and the twos, getting some run, getting acclimated. Um, you know, I believe he had a small procedure on his hand in January and it doesn't sound like that's any bit of an issue, but he might need to work back in a little bit there. So, Hmm. um, again, we've talked a lot about expectations, manager expectations for John Johnson. Does he come out on Thursday and take over and, you know, moss and everybody and stuff? Probably not. You know, does he work in and do I very much feel like he's a guy that helps Oregon against Auburn possibly as one of the starting guys? Very viably at that point, yes. But it's going to take some time to get there. And now maybe a chance to highlight some of the other names you've heard about. One guy that popped out to me reading Scoop Duck today, just prepping for this, and not a shock to me. I I mean, I cover high school football here for a living, but Patrick Herbert, you think he can make an impact. Yeah, I mean... uh I, once he signed with Oregon, you know, I did the uh, the the recruiting dinner down here in Oregon. I emceed that, and you know, even before that, I I had heard the coaches gush about him, not because his last name is Herbert, but because he is uh, like his older brother. He's a great athlete. Mm-hmm. He's a hard worker. You know, just the kid was athletically blessed from the get go. He's already showing up six four, two thirty ish, somewhere in that range. And, you know, there is like at receiver, there is a need for viable tight end options. He's going to have every opportunity to come in and earn, you know, what I would call serious playing time. Everybody likes to refer to, you know, will they start? Will they start? Well, you don't have to start to make an impact on the team. No, no. Well, I mean, in a spread offense like this, Mm -hmm. you're going to have five receivers on the play. Yeah. And maybe not five wideouts could be four receivers and a tight end. Sure. But there's an opportunity for five pass catchers out there. Well, and you've even seen Oregon and other schools flank a tight end out wide, use them for blocking out wide, and do one of those wide receiver screens behind them. I mean, that's mm-hmm. totally in the realm for somebody like Patrick Herbert, um, just being able to move and still being able to block. So um, I, that is, all of that, uh, Micah Pittman, Juwan Johnson, Patrick Herbert, all of that is tremendous because at this particular moment, there's really not much doubt in my mind that Oregon's weakest position is pass catchers whether we label that as wide receiver or tight end that's where it's at Mm -hmm. and you've got justin herbert back there so that's not the issue the issue is you know making sure you run the right route being where you're supposed to be and then most importantly catching the damn ball when it comes to you they got a big boost from the trio of that on tuesday so hopefully again not only do those guys contribute they 
elevate the rest of the guys that are already there. All right, now let's look at the other side of the ball. A guy that you turned me on to last offseason, and I really just became a fan of his game last year. Kind of concerned after what I read yesterday. How's Javon Holland doing? Uh, you know, at the moment, he's just kind of waiting to get get cleared and get back out there. Um, there hasn't been an, uh, an official comment on... Uh, you know what he's doing, but I I did do some preliminary checking uh, Wednesday morning following that. Nobody seems alarmed or worried or anything like that. So it's just one of those things at the moment. I mean, here we are. We're we're April. We're talking. We're early April, and the Ducks don't play football, actual football, until August. So tons of time. No reason to worry about anything. Everything's good. So yeah, just some precautionary stuff there. It's pretty funny when you put it that way. What's that? Of all the time we have. Right. It's it's amazing how much this fan base cares, how people are just so fired up about it and they don't play till August. And and they and, and I love and they do, and that's what pays my bills is people being fanatical that, you know, well, gosh, what's going on with them now? Okay, let's find out what's going on with them, but let's not go slam the panic button at this moment because uh -huh. we're in early April. Even if Javon misses the rest of spring ball, which I'm not saying he will, he's still gonna be fine. He played all last year. He's good, you know, so I think the key right now is is really going to be this team, uh, you know, bonding and gelling, of course, you know, really uh, completing that culture that Mario Cristobal has put in place. But more importantly, it's going to be the small things. It's going to be making sure the defense is picking up, you know, the new things that Avalos is putting in there. It's going to be the wide receivers probably learning some of the, the small changes that Coach uh, Bo, Coach Booknight, will be putting in there at his new position, you know, getting to know Coach Ken Wilson, the new linebacker coach. There are some new coaches, so I think those are the things you really aim towards getting ironed out in April and fine-tuning, and then that way you can hit the ground running in August. Uh, one of the questions on Scoop Duck that you, you asked for and people got back to you with, Hi-Fi asked, what were the differences between the Avalos scheme, as we've seen it now, and the Levitt scheme from the last two years? Um, you will see a lot, uh, you'll see a lot more pressure. So I think the way that I can say this, that Oregon fans will appreciate at least ones that have, have followed for a little while now is it'll be more like watching a Nick Aliotti defense and, and less, I don't want to say less like a, a Jim Levitt defense. It will have a lot of the same principles, but you'll see much more different looks. Uh, you'll see the, the the secondary, the cornerback specifically, not just stuck in man all the time. I think that was something that really plagued the defense last year as offenses started picking up on that. Um, you know, you'll see a lot more twists and stunts up front. So, uh, you know, again, the, the the best way I can say it is, no, this is not Nick Aliotti 2.0. But under Aliotti, you saw Oregon bring the pressure a lot more. I think under Jim Levitt, it got fairly conservative. They would bring like a corner blitz at times, but there wasn't very often a severe amount of pressure put on the quarterback. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that that single sp uh, that single item alone, uh, the uh, the blitzing will be the thing that stands out most just to the common fan. Now, the guys that sit here and, and, and break these things down about alignments and the stud and all the other, you know, two gap and all the other things that probably 90% of the common fan doesn't really understand. Yeah, there will be differences there. But if somebody turns on the TV and says, holy crap, we're blitzing a lot more. <laughs> you know, I think I think that's fair. You know, I think that's fair. I think it's a good fit for the conference. Absolutely. You, you uh, the, the days of being able to sit back and and, you know, wait for a quarterback to make a throw are long gone. I mean, there's too many 
great quarterbacks in this conference. There's too many talented receivers. Uh, there's too much diversity in the type of offenses that you'll face. And I think that's the big key for this defense is they will be more diverse uh, just in how they align and some of the principles that they do. And that will confuse an offense. And and as we know, it's a game of seconds. So if you can get the quarterback to think for a half second or, you know, always be worried about his blind side and, you know, really kind of forcing throws, those are the small, subtle things in a game that have a huge impact on a game. You know, a, a, a drop on a third down or a missed assignment on a third down or whatever. A lot of those things plagued, or, plagued Oregon last year on offense. So, um, yeah, I, I think in this day and age that uh, – I know it's live by the blitz, die by the blitz, but you know that is one area that Oregon was more successful in under Jim Levitt was the turnovers. They were more successful last year than that first year in the turnover category. I think it'll be even better this year, and that's a very big key to this defense to me. Yeah, I'm with you wholeheartedly there. I look at, say, Washington, where they've got the Georgia transfer at QB, Eason, yeah. who is like a Dan Marino clone. Yeah. Cannon for an arm, yeah. not super mobile. You want to put pressure, get him to move, get him uncomfortable. And then you look at just the schemes you're going to face this year. you got to play a new-look USC right. that's borrowing that run and shoot. And then you know you're going to face that same kind of offense against Washington State. Sure. And pressure, historically, through the eras – pressure is the way to beat that team yeah it, you know arizona is going to be similar to usc you know uh, ucla you know all those will be kind of some spread principles wide out uh, you know have to respect the quarterback running sort of offenses maybe not ucla as much this year but um and then you've got the asus and the stanfords and the washingtons where maybe you don't have to respect a mobile quarterback as much but you've got to respect that power run the you know more pro style offense and again that all lends to your defense needing to be versatile you need to be able to figure out okay look yeah this is our base defense but we're going to play in nickel a lot or you know we're going to play with a four-man front a lot which you're not used to you've got to have you've got to be able to be comfortable in all those alignments as a defense because of the diversity of offenses in the in the Pac-12 like you said you know Washington State you know wide open Stanford not even remotely wide open Mm -hmm. and yet you've got a scheme for both you know Cal who knows what Cal will be? Who seems knows? like who knows? Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the worst thing for a team though, not to have an identity. I mean, you've heard that you know, Coach Chris Ball talk about that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't just apply to Oregon. Your team needs an identity. Are you a run first team? Are you a power team? Are you a spread team? What are, what are you? Figure it out and be that team. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you can't you know implement some other other things in there, but at least know your staple. Yeah, no, Cal football comes to mind, and uh, you don't have to look too far either for the other one. I, I see a team in Corvallis that yes. might have the same problem. Yeah. Um, I love this conversation. I love talking about just how you see the rest of the Pac-12, because I've seen firsthand, you, you do your homework on everybody in the conference and, and, and really reading the bloggers and reading the other writers. Um, right now in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. how do you see the Ducks shaking out? Um. You know, at the moment, prior to, well, I mean, heading into spring ball, we all knew that receiver was probably the biggest problem for Oregon. If they, if Oregon's not going to be able to effectively pass the football, which they were not at times last year, that's obviously an issue. Uh, and we saw that be an issue last year at times. I don't think the play calling was necessarily as bad as a lot of fans want to say it is. And I think that narrative's kind of been beaten down a little bit it hasn't gone away but I think a lot of fans can appreciate maybe some of the challenges Marcus Arroyo was facing because of the lack of passing 
offensive line is as good as you're going to find in the country. Quarterback, as good as you're going to find in the country. Mm -hmm. Defense is going to be good enough to win football games. Does that mean they're elite? No, probably not. But your corners are coming back, and they probably grew the most of any position last year. So I think Thomas Graham, Diamondola, those guys are going to be ready. Oh, those are two starting and and good starting corners. Yep, and you return Jordan Scott, you return... Uh, you know, uh, you return, well, both dies for that matter, but you return your anchor in the middle. You return a lot of great pieces on that defense. Now, of course, you've got to figure out a way to replace Jelks, Hollins, and Ugo Amadi. I happen to think Ugo Amadi is going to be the toughest to replace of that group, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does Nick Pickett stand in there and stand next to Javon Holland? Is it Brady Breeze? Is it both? Is it Steve Stevens? That's kind of the big question mark for me. Is it so? To answer your question, that was really long-winded to answer your question but Washington's going to be good you know that Stanford's going to be good you know that I think ASU is is a team that is really trending the right direction are they there yet probably not quite but they're a team you've got to watch out for I'm really surprised at what Herm Edwards has done down there I was just going to say like to me that's the most surprising story in the conference absolutely way more surprising than the than the than the lack of success for Chip Kelly at UCLA yeah, is how successful Herm Edwards is, and 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 he's doing and recruiting's been good under Herm Edwards. He's doing a lot of the things the right way, and of course you've got Washington State out there that you've always got to watch out for. I mean, he's had you know Mike Leach has had Oregon's number every year. Um, I, I think overall, here's a simple: I think overall the Pac-12 is better this year than it was last year, as a conference. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean every team is better. I mean, Oregon State still got a lot of work to do. I don't know what you're going to get out of Cal this year. They just kind of seem like a big question to me. But I think the usual players will be there. Arizona, I don't, eh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm not sure Kevin Sumlin was the right man for that job. But that was probably the best hire they could make at the time. So I don't blame him. So, um, and a lot of this I bank, I, I, I base off recruiting. You know, who recruited well last year? Who is bringing in more talent, better talent? And if you go and look at it, it's clearly Oregon. They've elevated their talent. And, Everybody's got star players, but what really makes a team is depth. And the only way you get depth is you go out and recruit and bring in better guys than you had mm-hmm. and elevate the guys, your, your twos and your threes. Once you start elevating them, that elevates your ones. Mm-hmm. And so right now Oregon's doing that. Um, you know, Stanford always does that. Uh, USC finished fairly well. USC finished okay in recruiting, but they did not have a good year in recruiting overall. So. I think Oregon can win it, but I don't want to set. We will know in late August. How about that? Yeah. Once they take the field against Auburn, we're going to have a really damn good idea where this Oregon team's at. Yeah, that's and that's going to be a hell of a game. That's going to be a great one. Yeah. I can't wait for that one. Um, I feel pretty good on football. Um, I, I had one other thing that I wanted to ask, and then if there's anything else you want to bring up, we can. But you shared a piece by John Wilner, mm-hmm. who I've had on my show before. He's a really smart dude, Very good smart. dude, plugged in on the Pac-12. And he sort of sounded the sirens to the rest of the coaches of, hey, maybe you should copy Mario Cristobal. This dude's kicking your ass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, that was that was a good piece by John and, you know, uh, by John Wilner. And I, I actually really... Uh, respect his, I, I respect his work, and I respect uh, the work that him and John Canzano have been doing lately towards the Pac-12. You know, they're finally blowing sirens that were long overdue, and I, you know, I credit those guys for digging in and really kind of shining a light on this thing because, you know, the Pac-12 needs that as mm-hmm. as a, as a conference. You know, it it was definitely trending the wrong direction, and those guys are bringing it back around. But with regards to that, I mean, it's 
<clears throat> you know, it's it. You and I have talked about it a lot. He's bringing Alabama of making Alabama of the West, if you will, and along with that comes a recruiting. It's a tenacious style of recruiting. Um, you know, it's not just one coach recruiting one recruit. You know, all of the coaches are involved. All of the coaches are involved when these these kids are hosted on on campus, and you're seeing. If you're not paying attention, you are seeing USC and Washington absolutely carbon copying what Oregon has been doing. They are literally trying to catch up to Oregon and figure out what they're doing from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, you know, from the coaches being there when kids get off the elevator, uh, you know, Washington started to copy that. You know, stuff that they were originally like, oh, we're not going to, you know, we're just going to develop you. We're not going to kiss your butt or whatever. And now it's like, okay, well, I guess we are going to kiss we your butt. To. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the edits are coming out and stuff. And, and so, yeah, I, I think Wilner was, was very, very timely with that. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of fans are, it's something I want to segue into. The last thing I want to talk about fans sure. are, you know, maybe a little concerned with where recruiting is at right now. They're, you know, they're maybe mentioning the 24 seven sports crystal ball and not a lot of action towards Oregon's direction. Well, without looking, um, and and I can't remember the exact date. Last year, Oregon's first commit. Now they did have a kid committed who, en- who ended up later decommitting, so I don't count that. Oregon's first commit was in early April, and his name was Keon Ware Hudson. And they really didn't get going until the spring game and after. Yeah, it was the few weeks after the spring game. We're right in that same window right now, folks. So you know, yeah, maybe March wasn't as hot and heavy as you would have liked. Mar- March was not hot and heavy last year. They've brought better talent on campus already for visits not a ton not like these huge splashy junior days that you know alabama's had or usc's had but you can't have those at oregon you can't have those in in february at oregon you don't have the geography to support that you don't want kids waiting out there in the rain yeah Yeah. well yeah not only that the weather (laughs) is not supportive of you but you can't get that many kids up that are in school and you know all have all these things going seven on seven season starts picking up Mm -hmm. when you're Oregon you've got to know when your timing is and it starts you know a little bit later in April the spring game circled and and I've got to I've got to mention this and I've got to make sure fans understand this the staff is planning on bringing in 40 plus recruits wow for the spring game april 20th okay april huge day huge day for the program it was a huge weekend last year they need it to be a huge weekend this year and the one of the key points to that is fan support now i'm not telling you, you got to go to the game but i'm telling you if you follow recruiting if you if this program is important to you mm-hmm. you know how important recruiting is to the lifeline of your program well i'm telling you right now the spring game is the heart like it's literally the heart and after the spring game everything goes out i mean mace funa uh, jonah tawanu'u all these guys visited for the spring game last year several of them committed soon after mikhail wright was one that committed soon after that was the heart to this whole machine so again april 20th you know spring game it's free take some cans of food donate to a good cause take your family show up in the stands one of the big things Oregon's been able to sell is the biggest attendance of any Pac-12 school pretty much anybody west of Nebraska and it's stark yeah like, yeah it's not even close yeah yeah like I remember last year watching the Ducks spring game and then flipping over Pac-12 network to the Beavs spring game oh yeah you went from thousands in the stands packed house right. loud and electric energy to you could count people in the stands at yeah, Easter. Right. You could 50, th- maybe 100. Yeah. It was bad. And USC's 
almost just as bad. Mm-hmm. Now, they might be a little better this year because people might want to see you know, the new coaches and what Graham Harrell brings. And I'm sure there's a little bit of interest there. But overall, they're not even going to remotely touch the 35-ish plus that show up at Oregon, right around mm-hmm. 30. I think it's around 35 or that usually show up at Oregon. And, thousand. Yeah, thousand, 35,000. Usually most of the other schools are, I don't think anybody even gets t- to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, Nebraska does a good job of that. I know it's huge for them. Alabama, A-Day, you know, they've got 100,000 in the, in the stands. You know, these blue blood programs have people in the stands at the spring game. If you're paying attention, you're seeing the staff and Oregon football pushing the spring game on social media. There's a reason for that. They want fans there. So I guess my point to that is, you know, call your dad, call your friend, call your neighbor, get people out, whatever you want to do. If you follow recruiting with me on Scoop Duck, I'm just telling you right now, relaying to you how important the spring game is for the success of Oregon. I mean, you know, you've got DJ Ugalali some elite football players coming. It was such a critical time for Oregon last year. The only way to replicate that's by packing Austin. Two really good points to add there. I love this idea. One, I know from, from, from my background, getting to cover summer baseball, when the Medford Rogues or the, the team up in Corvallis, the Knights or the team up in Portland, the Pickles, they can't offer a kid money because right. that'll void their, their deal with the NCAA. Sure. But they can say a crowd comes to our games, and that's a big deal. Yes, if if you're used to a hundred people in your stands for a high school football game, and you visit Otson on the spring game, and yep. there's thirty five thousand people right. in the middle of spring, right? That's a big deal, right? Yep. Um, and, and so, and to your point, I want you to finish too. But yeah, nobody in the Pac twelve conference can can offer that, and that's huge. Only Oregon can. Those kids will show up and be like. Holy crap, this is freaking awesome. It matters to those players. Absolutely. You, you can't offer them money, but you offer them stuff like that, and they take it. It really matters to them. Uh, the other point there, when I think about organ recruiting and um, and just, just whether or not they are on the right pace right now, which is kind of funny that you mentioned fans being sure. concerned about that, I compare it to the NFL draft where – You've got hundreds of players trying out, and mm-hmm. you've got this extensive process. We all have a good idea in February at the Combine who that top 10 is. Sure. Of who are the blue chip guys. We all know. You don't have to watch a lot of games and read a lot of film. We all kind of have an idea of who that top 10 is. Nobody knows who number 256 is. Right. Or 300 or 400. We'll apply that to college football. You're not going to sign your entire class in April. Right. Because the only guys that the school knows they want to commit to right now are those top 10 guys. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. That's a great analogy. And once again, I'll pinpoint geography. Now, we've heard geography used as a negative towards your ability to recruit. Mario Cristobal disputed that. But what you can't do is replace that geography with how it fits into your recruiting timeline. You need to match those two things. So I think Cristobal has done a really good job of that. You know, as kids start getting out of high school and, you know, summers in other states start a lot earlier than ours, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, here in Oregon. So, yeah, quarter versus semester. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. what you do is you start laying the groundwork in April, you know, for these kids that will a lot of them will get out in May. They might get out a couple of weeks later or whatever the case might be. You know, you're laying that groundwork and and getting them to visit in late April, mid-April, mid to late April is much more realistic than having them come on February 5th. Now, again, if you're USC and you're in Los Angeles, you can literally draw a 60-mile radius and have 300 kids show up. 
it's no problem. Same for Texas, the same for, you know, Alabama to a degree is probably like 150 mile radius. Same thing. You can get a lot of kids there easily. Flights to Eugene are expensive. It's geographically tough. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, the weather doesn't really support the cost to do so. So the spring game becomes paramount. And and it's really, this is, we are about at the very, 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 very beginning. Now, keep in mind, Oregon's got three commits already in this 2020 class, which is more than they had last year at this time. Mm -hmm. Three good ones, too. Three great ones. Uh, Yeah. So at this point, they're already ahead there. But, you know, my point to that is we're at the very start here. Uh, these next three weeks is when Oregon will start bringing more guys on campus, uh, you know, really kind of getting going in recruiting from the spring game moving forward because you've got satellite camps and other things. So we're about to hit the fun stretch. It's just give it another week or two, and we're, we're going to get there. And a lot of fun right now at the practice facility. Ducks practicing for that spring game Saturday, April 20th. What are you looking forward to the rest of the week? Uh, well, you know, great news. Uh, there's a practice Thursday, as we know, in Eugene. But on Saturday, there's a practice up in Hillsboro. Uh, oh, that's up, right. Yeah, so Saturday. I totally forgot about that. Fans are going to be able to go and watch the team play. They're they're allowed to watch the entire practice. I think one of half of it will be, if I had to guess, it'll be, you know, maybe some fun stuff like Oklahoma drill, maybe one-on-ones, things like that that get fans excited but aren't actual football you know what i mean not not watching <laughs> yeah. you know 11 yeah. on 11 um so I, I think fans will get to see that and then what i would guess is you probably get to watch about 30 to 40 minutes of a pretty vanilla 11 on 11 you know seven on seven some of that kind of stuff going through still exciting great to go out there and see the ducks great chance to go and you know maybe look at some new players i one of the one of the fa- uh scoop duck members asked me you know hey i'm gonna go to the game what should i look for and my response was, well, if I'm going, which I'm, I'm not just because of the way my, my travel works the next two weeks, but I would go and really look at the new guys. That's what I would want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, what, you know, what's Micah Pittman doing? What's Kale Millen look like? What's, you know, Jamon uh, Eford? I mean, these guys that signed and came in early. That's what I would get. After watching Justin Herbert and Jawan Johnson, that's pretty much what I would watch next. Looking for that really big number five jersey yeah, out there. Yeah, that big that big one yeah (laughs) you know watching Pittman and you know and just kind of seeing where these guys fall into line because they're they're not gonna you know they're not gonna hide Jawan Johnson as as fourth on the receiving chart just to mess with people he'll be out there in a spot that's probably you know pretty close to where he's at this early so you kind of get a feel where guys are falling into place and you know get a chance to just make sure that uh that herbert kid can still throw the football i i totally forgot about that that practice up in hillsborough that's yeah. saturday this saturday yeah up at hillsborough stadium right yep yep i think it's at one i'm just going off memory i believe okay. it's at one i think it's at one too yeah yeah i i should know that no i there, there's tons of information out there if, you know i'll tweet it out later whatever but yeah i'm pretty sure it's around one it's at hillsborough stadium it's free. Take your family. Uh, pray. Pray for non-rain. I don't know. Hey, well, that's covered though. Oh, that is right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Because you've got you've got Ron yeah. Tonkin out there. That's I used right. to. I used um, my fiance used to live out there. Yeah. So I've I've been out there a bunch of times. Well, I was just at Top Golf last week. Oh, it's like literally right across the it's street. It's right there. Yeah. yeah, on the way back from from uh, Astoria, mm. we hit Top Golf. Yeah. And it was perfect out. It didn't. It wasn't raining. It was. They even had the heater things on, and we had to ask them to turn it off because it was so warm. See what I love out there, and and now we're just riffing. But there's two kick-ass places for food out there near Hillsborough Stadium. You've got my favorite McMenamins. 
Oh, okay. Of it's it's a McMenamins that has like a campsite nearby. Oh, with wow. Like of all this outdoor seating and um, cobblestones. It, it's great. Nice. And then um, out by Intel, like the best pho I've ever had in my life. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Some like little pho place behind a grocery store. Right. It, it's phenomenal. There's a uh, there's a McMin- McMenamins in McMinnville. That was a lot of mix. That uh, we went to last year that I thought was awesome. The was downtown it? one. Yeah, on the top of the hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one was really cool too. You could go all the way to the top out there. Yeah. I had a had a high school game at Linfield last year, and a fraternity brother of mine lives in McMinnville now. So we uh, we both went out there, had a good time. Nice. Yeah, that's a cool. That's a cool McMenamins too. Or, I mean, they got a bunch of them now. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah, I could spend a whole hour talking about that. Oh but, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to hit on with football before we move on? Uh, you know, I don't think so. Uh, you know, biggest keys were obviously practice getting going, and uh, and then the spring game. Just the importance of the spring game, which segues into into recruiting a little bit, which we covered. But yeah, I mean that's that's it. Football, and we'll get to talk about it next week and see what happens this weekend. And and uh, yeah, we got football for a couple weeks now. Yeah, April twentieth coming right around the corner. Yep. Looking forward to it. Uh, now let's talk hoops. It's tough because I I always want to focus on football. Right. I always want to give football the priority when we do this pod because I know firsthand football is king. Football is king. Football pays the bills. Yep. But I had to really force myself to talk about football because this freaking basketball team, these ladies. Yes. The story is incredible. Yes. It's beautiful. It's just, you know, watching the games and obviously, uh, you know, you and I were talking off air before we started. It, it, it's really nice to have the men's and women's basketball being successful. It helps what's kind of the slow time. You know, we had a couple of weeks off there from no football mm-hmm. in spring. Well, that was really it blew right through just because, you know, the men were playing, the women were playing. It was a lot of fun. Um, but the women final four, you know, the way that Sabrina and the rest of them beat Mississippi State. I mean, that was just it was freaking savage. It was awesome. I'll be honest. I didn't see it coming. Yeah. I watched the first half of that. I mean, I watched the whole game, but just sitting down watching the first half, I thought this Oregon team is playing beautifully, but there's no way they can keep hitting shots. Right. They were, I mean, they were shooting 60% from three. Yeah, it was ridiculous. No way they can keep that up, and they did. And then I still have no idea. Like, I, I really want to talk to Kelly Graves and ask him, no matter what happens the rest of the way, my first question is, how the hell did you stop McCowan? Yeah. Well, and Ruthie Heber did a tremendous job in the first matchup against McCowan. I mean, you're doing as much as you can. I mean, it's basically like limiting a superstar. That's what you're trying to do. And she was. Yeah. No, Six foot was. seven. Yeah. I mean, that's all you could do is basically, look, just keep her from absolutely taking over the game and annihilating you. And the one thing that, you know, I felt just before the game even started, I felt bad about Oregon's chances because, you know, I know like in football, when you get a rematch, it's really hard to beat that team a second time. They're fired up. Yeah, whoever it is. So we saw that against, uh, you know, the women's against Stanford in the Pac-12 championship. It's really hard to beat a good team like that that's fired up a second time. Mm -hmm. And that became so there. I, I wondered if that might be the same. McCowan's obviously a beast. Um, you know, they're, uh, and I don't know, I don't remember her name, but their little guard, you know, she started hitting a couple shots that really, really kept Mississippi state in the game. But I mean, with the way Sabrina, I mean, Sabrina literally just spot up shot five, six times from three. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in your face, like, you know what, I'm winning this game. And for me, I thought the formula for Oregon 
if you're going to beat them, um, at least a couple minutes in the game, was tire out McGowan. You And they never took her out. I mean, the whole first half, she played the entire first half. Yeah. And in my mind, okay, they didn't get her into foul trouble. I thought the Ducks should have taken the ball at her. Um, I can't remember. It was either Cazola. I think it was Cazorla who had a couple times where she was going into the paint and kind of laying it out soft. And she would try. Yeah, and I was like, mm-hmm. go in, you know, body in against her. Draw that foul. Who cares if she knocks you to the floor or you miss the shot? Get the foul. I was hoping they could get McCowan in a little bit more foul trouble in the first half, and they didn't. I don't think she had a foul in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they definitely did in the second half, kind of went and attacked her a little bit more. And I felt about halfway through that second half, maybe even a little earlier, you could tell she was visibly tired. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was having trouble moving laterally. Sure, she could get up and down the court, but there were times where her guards would get up the court, and they'd have to stand there and wait for five or six seconds for her to get up there. So... To me, I think that was a really, really big... I, I think that really is exemplified by the fact that Ruthie was able to block her shot late in that game. She yes. had no lift in her legs. She just... I mean, it was done. And the timing on that swat was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, no discredit to Ruthie Hebert, but, you know, in the first 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 half of the of the first... Uh, in the first half or, like, in the first quarter, she wasn't swatting that shot. She wasn't no. even close. Yeah. So, no, great game plan. Fun to watch. I'm with you. Second half was... Maybe the best I've seen the Ducks play all yeah. year, and that includes the blowout win over Stanford earlier in the campaign. Yep. You hit clutch shots. Sabrina just taken over there at the end. Maite taken over there at the end as well. And Kelly Graves and squad get to cut down the nets in Portland. Yeah. No, and I'm sure that was a big part of it too, having the home crowd there, you know, because it was clearly, you know, 90% duck fans as yes. it, as it should have been. Uh, it's it sounded like a duck football game. Yeah, it did. The the energy, the electricity, that was awesome. Yeah. And player uh, as we know players feed off that. They 100% feed off that. So, you know, you could tell on I thought some of the calls were really bad, but they were bad both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think there was a couple on Oregon that were like, "Really? You didn't call that or you did call that?" And and I the same way against Mississippi State. There were some that were, you know, ticky-tack foul. So I, I you know, for me I didn't think it was a very well officiated game, but it wasn't very well officiated both ways. In my so it kind of evens out, if you will. Yeah, which is not ideal, but that's actually better than what we normally get in the Pac-12. <laughs> my question there, and I say this <laughs> to someone, I did not grab the names of the officiating crew. Yeah. it's an old routine of mine being a broadcaster. I don't want to know who the officials are. Yeah, because then my instinct is to tell people. Right. I don't want to tell people. I don't want people. Maybe you're a church buddy of Joe so and so calling the game, and I don't want you showing up at his house with a torch and pitchfork the next morning. Right. So I don't care who the officials are, but I left myself after that game thinking, have they called women's basketball before? Because because yeah. the men, to me at least, the men's game is officiated way differently than the women. Absolutely. You let the women play with a lot more. Absolutely. Yeah. And and there were some really, you know, there were some moments where I thought they were, uh, you know, really touchy with uh, Sabrina, you know, just always kind of touching and trying to get her out of her comfort zone. Clearly didn't work, but... Um, you know, but then they'd go on the other end and they'd call the touch fouls and it was kind of like, just be consistent. I don't care if you call a tight game or a loose game, just be consistent on both ends. But you know, they blew, they blew some, either way, the officiating didn't make a difference. It was, you know, the ducks. And I, and I think, uh, you know, in the end, uh, I mean, once they started hitting those threes, it's like, like you said, it's like, man, can they keep this up? Mm Mm-hmm. And then they did. Yeah. No, they, they, they moved the ball, they yeah. passed the ball, and they shot it better. Yeah. And they defended. They kept McCowan from getting it down low. 
and they were the better team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you, if you, yeah, they, I think McCallan ended like with 15 and 10 or something was her night. I mean, she had a good night, but it wasn't enough. Uh, obviously, it wasn't enough to beat Oregon. And I, I think that, uh, you know, they did a, they did a really good job of fronting her, kind of trying to push her off the block a little bit, make her uncomfortable. I mean, there was always two or three bodies around her anytime she touched the ball. Mm-hmm. Now, she still scored some of them. There's just not much you can do, but yeah. which uh, I guess brings us to the point of Baylor because they got a 6-7 or two. Yeah, let's talk about this because yeah. Baylor just absolutely killed Iowa on yes, Monday. they did. And that's a really tough matchup for the Ducks on Friday. It is, yeah, because you've got another 6-7-er, so at least you've got uh, – in uh in Kalani Brown, so at least you've got um, a way to you've prepped for her a little bit. The problem is is playing next to her is Lauren Cox, who's six four as well. They're one of the top rebounding teams in the country. Baylor is uh, for a reason, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, this one uh, we talked about it in the, in the opener. This game is completely different styles. So you, they have not, you know. For the most part, Baylor has not faced a team at all like Oregon that that sh- offensively that shoots the way they do. They move the ball. They move so the ball. Well. They yeah. haven't faced a point guard as good as Sabrina Inescu at any point this season. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Baylor figures out Oregon's offense if they're able. Now clearly they're going to be able to probably limit second chance points mm-hmm. uh, with the way they're able to rebound. But if we see Oregon shooting like they did in Portland. It could be a long night for Baylor. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. It, it might not be a long night, but I, because of the way they match up stylistically, it, it's going to be very interesting. When I think about losses the Ducks have had in the last couple of years, like the Oregon State game this year in Corvallis or Notre Dame in the Elite Eight last year, I think about teams that have length on the perimeter mm-hmm. and they can deny the inside pass. Yeah. Because even if Ruthie doesn't score off that pass – they're able to move the ball inside, kick it out, right. curl across, and really bite you in the ass. Um, but like Notre Dame last year with a Goomba Wale, pretty much shutting things down on the wing. And then what the Beavs were able to do where they trapped you top of the key and trapped you in the corners. If Oregon can beat that, I think they're the better team. Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the key is, you know, for Oregon is is really – well, it's it's going to be similar to Mississippi State. You got to tire out those two big girls. You got to you got you got to tire out Brown and Cox. Six mm-hmm. seven six four. Get the push the pace. Get them running back and forth up the court. I mean, they're big bodies. That's really hard for them to do. Mm-hmm. You know, for a whole game, get them tired. That way, in the second half, they're a little bit slower, not able to react. I mean, you saw, uh, you know, the the one time uh, Sabrina had the ball, did a a quick little head fake, and uh, you know, uh, Tara was she had no she couldn't move. She was done in the second. She just couldn't move. I mean, uh, you know, Sabrina went right by McCowan in, in the Mississippi State game. I think, you know, those are the key. I think more importantly, uh, they do have a really good guard in D.D. Richards uh, who plays really good defense. She has kind of upped her scoring a little bit in in this uh, in this tournament, but she's not a, a serious threat, I mean, in terms of, of scoring and offense. So maybe she's able to limit Sabrina a little bit, the problem is you're going to have to draw your other two bigs out to help because you've got four 40 plus, 40% plus three-point shooters on the Ducks. So it's pick your poison. I mean, if, if, if you know, Satu's hitting, uh, you know, if, if Aaron Bowley's hitting, I mean, you, you're going to have to pick your poison at that point pulling your bigs out. Once they start to suck out, 
can Ruthie sneak in there or, you know, can the Ducks drive into the paint after they get him out? Um, you know, maybe get a, maybe get a high screen. Um, I, I don't know. It's just going to be so interesting stylistically because they are polar opposites because Baylor's like almost dead last in shooting threes. Mm-hmm. I mean, their percentage is low and the amount of threes that they take is very low. Yeah, They're an inside team. So, I mean. Pack it in and deny. Yeah. Same thing they did in the Elite Eight. And that's the thing. I think you know what Baylor's going to do. I mean, they have their identity. They're going to, they're going to, you know, they're obviously going to, you know, limit your second chance points in the paint. They're obviously going to try to get the ball in down low because that's their, their best option. With Oregon, you have a number of ways you can win. You know, you can, uh, you know, you can do the high screen and roll. You can obviously, uh, you know, move the ball around in motion and try to set up the three. But then you got, you know, somebody like Sabrina and, and, and even Satu that can take the ball to the rack. So you've got a lot of different things you got to try and defend if you're Baylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, have they have not faced a team as offensively diverse as Oregon this year. So I, I can't wait for this game on Friday. No, it's gonna be good. Yeah, Baylor and the Ducks, and that's the first of two in the women's Final Four uh, pregame three thirty. First tip or first action there in the first quarter at four o'clock. Um, Notre Dame UConn. Everybody's talking about that game, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this is the game to watch, and I think it's going to be a great game. Don't get me wrong. But the Oregon-Baylor game is going to be a lot of fun. And it's not just because we're all following Oregon athletics. I don't think so. I think it just makes for a really exciting game. Mm-hmm. UConn-Notre Dame, I'm sure it'll be a good game. Um, I don't know how UConn's been able to get there because they really just don't seem like they're that strong of a squad overall. But, I mean, they got the winning pedigree, so it just sometimes it just kind of happens, you know, by design, if you will. When you have, I mean, you know from the recruiting world, when you have a top five recruiting class oh, every yeah. year, yep. and I know firsthand, I've got to cover some players that have taken visits to UConn and, and met Coach Oriyama, everybody wants to go to UConn. Oh, yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And when you have a class like that every year, yeah, you're going to contend for a Final Four. Yeah, it's like Kentucky and Duke and men's basketball. Yes. In North Carolina. You when mean, everybody wants to sign up and, and right. be a part of that team, you're going to get a pretty good team. When you're bringing in Zions and R.J. Barrett's every class, oh God. it's really, I mean, it makes your job a lot easier, let's put it that way, especially something like Zion. But yeah, I mean, UConn's doing a similar thing. You got me all revved now on the men's side. That that women's final four is going to be awesome. It is, and I've got a couple more questions there to to throw your way as somebody plugged into duck fandom over the last twenty years, like you are. But man, it, as much as I hate Coach K and don't like Duke and and yeah. love seeing Duke fail, I hate not seeing Zion in the final four. I agree. Yeah, I mean it. It to me, I I. Uh, it just makes me sick to even mention this, but I think this is probably possibly one of the worst coached Duke teams I've seen under Shashevsky. Oh yeah, I, and you, it you pains me a, to say that because he's he's the he's the goat. The give it to Zion offense. That was the, that's been the joke on Twitter for like a month. It's now. It's a no brainer. Every time they do the give it to Zion offense, yeah. they score. Yeah, it's a no brainer. It's freaking foolproof. <laughs> he either scores or he's fouled. Yes, I mean the Every only time the only time he doesn't is if he's standing close to to the mid court line and you give him the ball for whatever reason. If he's anywhere from inside the three point line, give him the damn basketball. You will win the game. My uh, my dad is not much of a hoops guy, but he'll always sit down and watch the tournament and. He had never seen Zion. His first thought, big football fan watching Zion for the first time, he goes, that guy would be a really good tight end. Absolutely. Yeah, or defensive end, yeah. 300 pounds, and his neck is like as wide as a football field. Yeah, oh yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he's going to make a gazillion dollars in the NBA too, get a fat shoe deal, all that stuff. But yeah, he could have made money. I mean, it's just crazy that there's people that athletically gifted in this world, you know, the Bo Jacksons and just people like that. You mm-hmm. just, you just kind of marvel. It's like, man, I mean, it's just, how did, how, were you carved out of something? I don't, you know, I yeah. don't know. And I think the same thing about Sabrina, to be honest. I, I just, I look at her and with the background, mm-hmm. you know, Romanian family, I, I wonder 20 years ago or 30 years ago when we were just starting to see Euro players and players with that background making their footprint known, would a player like her be possible? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, heck, even 10 years ago, uh, you know, not to be insensitive, but most folks wouldn't have really known who she was just because of, of women's basketball. I mean, it wasn't as big as it is now. Yeah. And and Sabrina is not just a name in Oregon. She's a name nationally, you know, and, and I think that's a credit towards, you know, folks giving women's basketball the, the fair dues there along the way. But, mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, just to be international like that and, and the way that Coach Graves really assembled this team, you know, really showed a, a, a forward thinking outside of the box, you know, because now we're seeing the fruits of that labor from three, four years ago when he, you know, kind of started recruiting uh, internationally, which Dana Altman did for a while there, too, going up to Canada and getting uh, Chris Boucher, Chris Boucher and, and Dylan Ennis and, and Dylan Brooks. And I mean, he started that kind of Canadian pipeline uh, coming to uh you know, to Oregon, if you will, to the U.S. So um, there's talent to be had all around the world. It's just, you know, as you obviously get farther out, it's really hard to spend time, you know, scouting them and evaluating them versus somebody who might be right down the I-5 corridor in California. Ducks in the Final Four with a chance to hoist a banner. I Five years ago, ten years ago, this women's team wasn't on the radar. Oh, no, 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 no. Not even close. How big is this? First ever Final Four. How big is this? Uh, you know, I, I, I'd I say it's big because it's clearly not a one-off. You know, with, with Oregon able to get to the Elite Eight last year, I think the Elite Eight two years in a row, and then this Final Four this year, it clearly shows that, that uh, you know, Coach Graves is bringing in the talent. And as you and I said at the very beginning of the season, this is no longer just Sabrina Ionescu and, you know, Ruthie Hebert and then some other girls out there fielding the rest of the squad. This is a talented squad of five players. You're even, you know, six, seven deep, really, at this point. You know, are you UConn or Notre Dame? Maybe not quite there yet. I mean, I think Coach Graves is, you know, running through one of the best stretches he may ever have at Oregon because of, you know, Sabrina, Ruthie, and the others. But he's clearly not just resting on those two and saying, oh, we're good to go now. You know, he's assembling a team. This is definitely, in my mind, not just because of the Final Four. This is his best and most complete team to date just because of the amount of talent outside of those two. I really like that idea. Hey, they're not quite UConn, the established. Not quite Notre Dame, the established. Think of it like football where you've got Bama and Clemson. Yeah. There's no shame in being Notre Dame yeah. and you're in the playoff every other year it, it or, t- or yeah. LSU and you're in the conversation, Georgia. Right. I mean, that's that's probably it. They're Georgia, basically. Right. Which, hey, there's no shame in that. It takes years and years to get to that point. I, I, mean, I think I think fans are disillusional in the fact that maybe you have a, a, a good, and this just doesn't apply just to basketball, but if you have a run for you know two, three years, more than likely a lot of those same players were in that run you know and once they're gone were you able to fill in behind them that becomes the key 
as you do that continuously, that's when you elevate your program. But it takes years and years to do that. You, I mean, UConn didn't just become UConn overnight. No. No, they had a whole generation yeah. of players. They became UConn, and then they've stayed UConn for <laughs> a dozen years or whatever it's been. It's been a long run. You know, Tennessee was up there for forever, and, you know, they've kind of fallen off the map a little bit. It takes a lot of work to do for instance, what Alabama's doing in football right now or what Clemson is seemingly aspiring to be. They seem to be kind of almost turning that corner, if you will, right now. But it took, you know, I've gone over this. It took Dabo Swinney. He's been there for almost 10 years. It wasn't just like Dabo showed up and all of a sudden, up, dumb, we're winning. Yeah, we're blowing out We're blowing everybody. Yeah, I, no. no, no. It took years and years. First, he had to get to atop the ACC, and then he had to kind of push beyond that. And, you know, again, you, get, you, you have to recruit like that it takes so much work I, I think that's what we're seeing with mario cristobal now at oregon but in no way shape or form is that going to be done in his second year if he stays at oregon and continues to do what he's doing we'll be talking about this in seven eight years that he might be getting to that point but there's a lot that can happen in the next seven to eight years to get to that point where we're talking about it mm-hmm. yeah okay so so men now man you were on spring break having fun mm-hmm. enjoying the coast that Sweet 16 loss stung, but I, I honestly look at it this way. You're tied with four minutes left right. against a number one seed and a team that has now punched a ticket to the final four. Right. Could very well go all the way. Could. Tied with four minutes left, you take that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, as far as my spring break went, we, we left on Sunday, rolled into Astoria about two minutes after tip. So watch that whole game. You know, right at right after. Nice. And then we left uh, Astoria on Thursday, and I got home about 30, 45 minutes right before the game. So we kind of timed it right. I was able to watch both games uh, in full. And uh, like you said, they had Virginia on the ropes. I mean, they they really did. I I uh, the way the last four or five minutes went down was about as poorly as we'd seen Oregon play in. A month, three mm-hmm. weeks. I mean, it, it had been a while, and they really regressed in that last four four minutes. And you got to give, and it's not all on Oregon. You got to give Virginia credit. Clearly, they're a very talented basketball team. They started surging there. Um, they're an excellent defensive team. They make they make it really hard for you to make shots. But I mean, Oregon played has played them as tough as anyone in the tournament and and in a while. And uh, yeah, I mean, we were looking at this team a month ago, saying, yeah, I wonder which. NIT game they're going to get are they even going to get into the NIT <laughs> right because that's really where they were headed and then you know at that point once you kind of got into the uh, uh, you know the round of 32 you were just kind of playing with house money at that point it's like screw it let's go play and have fun mm-hmm. if we win great yeah it's like I had uh, Alan Johnstone one of your writers mm-hmm. on my radio show and this is after the Pac-12 title game mm-hmm. the heading into the Wisconsin game and just talking about this idea that if you could go back in time to the day Bull Bull gets hurt, and you and I are taping a podcast as that news broke, you go back in time and say, the Ducks aren't going to be in the CBI. Right. Okay, I might believe that. Yeah. You might tell me the Ducks aren't going to be in the NIT. I might believe that. But then you tell me that it's because the Ducks win four games and four nights in Vegas. Right. Become Bill Walton's favorite team of all time. And then they stomp Wisconsin and stomp UC Irvine. Right. And and they're holding Virginia on the ropes in the Sweet 16. I would never believe that. Absolutely. No no question. You you would have been uh, put in a straitjacket and put in a padded room 
if that's what you thought of Oregon basketball. And I mean, you and I obviously recording a podcast every week outside of last week, you know, we were watching the Ducks basketball all along the way and all through the season. And we got to a point where it was like, yeah, if they split this week or this weekend. We, we pretty much quit covering this team. Yeah, it was pretty. And, and yeah. that's not like a, a knock on, wow, we, we hate them. Yeah. No, they just, they weren't that good. No, it wasn't moving the needle. Nobody wanted to talk about them. Like and you're saying, yeah, we every week was a split. Yeah. Like if they went to LA, it's like, okay, maybe they'll beat USC. Maybe they'll u- lose to UCLA. Who knows? I don't know. And that's where I was at almost every week. And then next thing you know, they just, man, they hit their stride. Again, I know I've said this before. People want to say that, that, uh, the final four run by Dana Altman was his best coaching job. I think this was his best coaching job. Ever. I totally agree. Ever at Oregon, at least. I said that on my show on Friday of this was a, a an inferior roster Absolutely. to the one that he had two years ago. No question. And he was five minutes away, I think, from matching them. Because I think if they beat Virginia, they would have matched up really well with Purdue. Yep. Um, it's just you have you have two or three plays in that game that don't go your way. A couple cuts and threes by Kyle Guy, I thought really hurt the Ducks. Yeah. And then I know everybody wants to bag on Lou King. Kid's a freshman, yeah. and he's pouring his heart out. Had a couple clutch buckets earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that shot a minute left in transition. Right. It just didn't go in. Yeah, I mean, he had two there that were halfway down the damn rim and bounced out. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, and unfortunately, that's the difference between facing a team like Virginia and facing the other teams. They're an elite level defense. They can do just enough to maybe get a a little extra hand in your face or, you know, whatever the case might be. They're doing just enough to make those shots that much tougher. And I I don't have a problem with that. I just I think overall, not just Louis King, overall, the last four or five minutes there uh, that Oregon played was the was the worst that we'd seen them play as a unit mm-hmm. um, in quite some time and it, and it's unfortunate but I mean at the same time I I personally don't let that sour me on the magical run you're playing with house house money you hung with the team that might end up winning this whole damn thing uh, as well as anybody and uh, you weren't supposed to be there I mean no. that's the long and the short of it yeah Bobo goes down you weren't supposed to be there Bobo's still playing you're probably you're you might be the one seed or two seed or whatever. And you're not going to have him next year. He's already <laughs> yeah. headed for the draft. But I think there's a chance some of these other guys that are draft eligible, you know, the way it works with the NBA, where if you still have college eligibility and you don't get drafted, yeah. you can just say, I won't sign a contract. Right. I won't hire an agent. Right. And you're welcomed right back on campus. I think that there's a chance a guy like Kenny Wooten comes back. I think Kenny Wooten will come back uh, personally. Um, just from from what I've gathered, I think I think Wooten will come back. I don't think Louis King's coming back. Um, I think he's probably going to get. I just agree because he shoots so well. He does. He, sh- he dribble. He's, he needs to work on his dribbling, but he shoots really well. He's a big body. He can move. I mean, there's a place for him in the NBA. And uh, you know, the only thing I'll say about Bull Bull is this. I. Uh, probably selfishly i wish he would come back just to be able to cover him for another year but i also think had he came back to oregon with what's coming in and the guys that'll probably stay they probably could have held that thing together and made a serious run next year Mm -hmm. and that's not something to take lightly i mean to come you know to win a a national championship in college is is great now i don't blame him for going the nba i don't I don't think it's financially driven. I mean, sure, he's going to, you know, be paid handsomely to go into the NBA. Uh, you know, I, I think for me, if I'm somebody that's seven foot two or seven foot three or whatever he is, 
and your legs are as, as thin as they are, you kind of have to weigh how much playing time you might actually have for a career. So I, I, I understand that, and I, I think that's a long-term way to look at it for, for him. I think in the short term, you probably could have spared a year and had a hell of a run. Yeah, because clearly he had fun. He was going to every game. He was on. He was on the bench for every game. Oh, you're going to have more fun in Eugene than you will playing with LeBron next year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, wherever LeBron's playing next year. Yeah. God, what a shit show the Lakers are. Like, like imagine him at the end of the lottery because that's that's where he's been projected as. Hey, end of the lottery yeah. or end of the first round. So have fun playing with the Lakers. All right. And you're a nine seed. Yeah. Or or Oklahoma City. Yeah. Oh, that's better than Eugene, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, you know, obviously I'm, with college you at least get to pick where you're going, and, and in the pros you don't. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't blame Bobo for going. It's not really a surprise to me at all. I just secretly hoped out. It's like, man, if you look at this picture, you're going to – even if you only get to play – you know, seven, eight, nine years in the NBA, whatever the case is, you, you're going to pocket enough money to, to live well. Mm-hmm. Why not stay in school for one more year and have a blast? Because yeah. he was clearly having a blast. You could see him on the side. I mean, he was always up waving a towel or whatever. I mean, he was enjoying that. So kind of a bummer. I held out a small sliver of hope he'd return. But no, really, in my head, I knew it wasn't going to happen. Okay. All right. So that's basketball. Uh, let's look at the spring sports. Yeah. DeLuca unloads on one to left. Back to the wall. Out of here. It's kind of easy to lose track of these guys. You know, spring break and spring football practice and the basketball teams both reaching the NCAA tournament. But I actually really like what I'm seeing from Oregon baseball right now. Oregon baseball, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a... a, I want to use the term spirited squad. You know, I, I, I don't know if they're trying to keep coach around or if you know if they're just exceeding the expectations that maybe we all had headed into the season but yeah i mean um you know they've lost some tough games and uh but they i mean they just they're competitive yeah you know and, yeah. and you like that you know they're fighting you know maybe they maybe they do lose a big game you know there's a big uh, they lost to washington uh two weeks ago uh, what it was that it, was like, a clubbing yeah, yeah it was like 19 to three or something i don't remember it was bad but it was bad but then, then the next day they bounced back and beat them mm-hmm. you know and and yeah that was the only game they won in that series but still it just kind of shows that all right we're not gonna lay down and you know keep taking clubbings because that's no fun and the rest of their schedule right now they're looking ahead in the pac 12 they're over 500 overall just had a great week in utah four gamer coming up with fresno state right now those mm-hmm. are very winnable games yeah. and I see a team that if they kept this up, you keep getting one out of three against the UCLA's and the Oregon State's of the conference, and you get two out of three or all three on everybody else, they can get a bid. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. That's the, which is, uh, which if we scale it back to the beginning of the season, that's far exceeding the expectations for this team, in my opinion. Yes. And that's for everybody. Yeah, for everybody. And that's what you're really looking for is, okay, you know, it's a relatively younger roster so does that mean maybe this you know sets them up for success in the in the coming years the next couple of years mm-hmm. you know keep adding pieces and and, and keep uh, developing chemistry um you know i don't know those are obviously different questions but yeah like you said for a team that nobody was really banking on to be in consideration and again having some opportunities to maybe you know take some series or even sweep a few series here and there take that and run all day long mm-hmm 
Yeah, yeah, really good showing so far for the Ducks. Uh, press release from the university this week uh, just came out. Todd Miles, one of their play-by-play guys, called them cardiac kids. Yeah. Because their they're pitching just shuts teams down in the later innings. And those young bats, I think of Aaron Zavala, freshman, they just find a way. Right. That's that's what you talk. You know, just finding a way, staying competitive, being spirited. You know, all those things. It's like okay, we're, you know, there's a confidence there. I guess maybe in themselves and in Coach Horton that hey, we you know, it, you know, we're down one zero or it's zero zero or whatever. We can, you know, we can squeak this thing out, and that's what they seem to do. Mm-hmm. And now softball on the other side, they are in the middle of the country this weekend. Uh, a series like a, a sort of a, a mix, if you will, like a scrum with Missouri and Pittsburgh. Not great for them right now. No, no, it's 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 hit the skids. Yeah, if you will. I mean, a lot of optimism. Okay, not a lot of optimism before the season, but a lot of optimism. Early in the season. Yeah, like in the last couple of years. Yeah. Like the prestige and the oh, reputation yeah. of the program is sky yeah. high. Yes, absolutely. And for with great reason. I mean, when when you're winning, people want to obviously see you continue to win. They don't want to see you take a step back. Uh, you know, boosters, fans, everybody, I'm sure even the, you know, athletic department, you know, everybody feels that way. Um, you know, right right now it's, you know, another transfer. Uh, what was it the other day? Two days ago, three days ago, uh, one of the pitchers leaving the uh, squad again. Um, I don't think anybody was too shaken up because it didn't seem as though she was really kind of cracking the rotation all that that much. But it's an eyesore because mm-hmm. it's yet again another transfer, and this one's midseason now. So yeah. I, I look at it this way: you don't need in softball pitching depth can be a bit of a misnomer. Like last year's team had a ton of pitching yeah. depth. But you're gonna ride your 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 pitchers. Yeah, you know you you can have a, a girl throw a seven inning game and then another seven inning game the same day. Right, and be right back at it the next day and the next day. So if you have a great pitcher, you don't need five other people ready to step in the circle. Where it hurts Oregon is just in the perception of yeah. another player leaving, another black eye. Yeah, mm-hmm. for that. And and I think it, you know, I think those that are from from what I've read and what I gather, those that are a little bit more tuned in with the softball program actually see a lot of really great things for the program and that, you know, a lot of the players that Coach Lombardi's bringing in, uh, you know, are developing and getting better and she's able to recruit really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think long-term, the program's trending the right direction, but it doesn't mean that this, se- that doesn't mean that this season will be a success, Yeah, using finger quotes here, if you will. Yeah. And and that's honestly that's reasonable. I mean, just with how many players departed before the season even began. I mean, um, I you know, I don't even know how they were able to put together a roster. To be honest with you, and, and they did, and they were competitive in some big games. And like you said, even if you had, even if you were six pitch, pitchers deep in softball, you're riding your top two. I mean, you know, you can like you said, you can ride your one if that's all you got, but you're really going to only ride your top two, and then sprinkle in a third. You know, if she's pretty elite, mm-hmm. and you know, like you said, that anybody after that's probably just fighting for late inning work or you know blowout occasions or whatever the case might be, um, and and that's the case with softball. If they could pick up one more solid pitcher, we're probably talking about a whole different team. But we're at the midpoint season, so the uh, midpoint of the season, so that's just not realistic. But that's how that's how close they are. They overall. can't just trade the farm for somebody. Can't, can't just yeah, <laughs> can't just Yankee it out there. Well, let's buy him. He's playing good. 
<laughs> I, I, I also, I, I got to consider this. One of my sponsors is a duck booster here in Southern Oregon and a huge Melissa Lombardi fan. I, I've, I've asked him a couple times, hey, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? And he still has two thumbs up. Yeah. Still loves what Coach Lombardi is doing. And you just believe that as time goes on, if she can convince parents and student athletes to buy into what she's selling, yeah. she's going to build a team that fits her vision. Yeah. And over time, people are going to forget about all the transfers. Mm-hmm. Sure, it sticks out right now just because they're not they're not winning. You know, they're not, you know, when, when they were winning, you know, nobody really even, everybody kind of faded out the transfers early in the season. And now it's kind of back because it's like, all right, well, we're losing and it was because of the transfers and is this the right coach and yada, yada, yada. I think just all that will heal is time. Let that stuff kind of fade into the background. Keep doing what you're doing if you're Coach Lombardi. I think she can go into living rooms or, or, or go on the road and recruit incredibly well. And the types of players that she is going to get and want are going to be players that respect the way she coaches. I am not your friend. We're not going to be buddies. You're going to show up. I'm going to work your ass off. I'm going to make you a better softball player. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go hang out at pizza and you're going to tell me all about your boy problems. That's not what I'm here for. <laughs> That's her approach. Like if you're genuine about the type of person you are, uh-huh. people are going to be fine with that. You know, if you mislead people and say, oh, we're going to be best friends and you show up and they yell at you all the time. Mm-hmm. Don't set that expectation. And I don't I don't believe she does. So I think I think the fact that she can go out on the road and say, hey, look, this is how I coach softball. But guess what? I really know how to coach softball. And I'll make you a, a damn good player. She's gonna bring in the type of player she wants, and this program's gonna get better. It just takes time. Yeah. It really does. Yep. Got to give it time. Wrapping up now. Yeah. Um. Pretty much went around the world on everything ducks. Is it, there anything I missed? Anything you want to talk about? Nothing I want to miss or I want to talk about. I just again, if you're still listening at this point, which I don't know if you are or not, just can't stress enough the importance of the spring game showing up. Being loud, being your aughts and self, that seems to be something that the, the coaching staff's really focused on at this point. So circle the date, Saturday, April 20th, 420. You should be able to remember that. And uh, <laughs> I've been trying not to make that joke. Nah, the whole you know, whatever. Yeah. And then get to Hillsboro this weekend. Enjoy. If you're up in the Portland area, go enjoy watching the Ducks come play for you. Right. That's going to be sunny. It's going to be nice. Yeah. One o'clock Saturday, Hillsboro yeah. Stadium. Yeah. 26 is going to be a, uh, a mess. Yes. Yeah. So, so take it to the streets. Yeah. Get get there early, right? <laughs> or sun, sunset. I think sunset drops over there. I can't remember. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll be right back next week. Another Scoop Duck podcast.